0: Hello everyone, welcome to the new episode of Everyday Talkies. Now before you jump on to listening to this episode, wait, take a breath, smile, get your regular dose of life-changing entropy here on Everyday Talkies. Hello guys, welcome to the new episode of Everyday Talkies. We're back with another episode of Guns, Germs and Steam. Today we will be discussing chapter 9, it's called Zebra's Unhappy Marriages. And the Anna Karenia, okay, I'll leave all of this to Anna
1: Karinina principal. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's it's your duty to explain all of this. <laughs> uh good to be back. How's life? Abhe, life ke mein podcast life. That should be a subject. I The people need to catch up also. No, it's okay. Like we are splitting them what this book is all about, but they need to know, they need to relate to you. They need to know what's going on in your life, Puskar. Tell them.
1: Okay, if you the only people who can relate to me right now are the people who are uh, stuck at home in the pandemic doing nothing. So, uh, if there are any people like that out there, you can relate to me. Great.
0: Wow. Such sarcasm much wow. Fine. Since Pushkar in this, is in that mode, let's move on swiftly to
1: our greatest... Ongoing series of uh, Guns Champs in Street, Chapter 9.
0: So, you know, let's recap guys. So, if people who are joining us for the first time, go listen to the 9 episodes that we've already done. Please. I want more listens. Come on, more traction. But if you haven't yeah. and you're being lazy, I'll try to recap most of it. It's quite interesting. So, the book is Guns, Jumps & Steel by Jared Diamond. It's about the evolution of humans from 30,000 years to now. We started with the Yali's question, which was, that why did Europeans get all the good stuff? Why did they develop faster than people in New Guinea or Australia or in these regions? And Yali was one of the politicians there. He asked a question around these lines. And basically, that forms the base question for this entire series that we have. And Jared Diamond tries to answer that in multiple parts. So, in part one, we basically you know learn about how humans evolved from 7 million years ago and even before that how we evolved from monkeys we migrated from africa to other regions europe australia america and all of that how we spread there what was the links and all of that so we discussed that and then the next chapter was quite very quite interesting i think one of my favorite two chapters where we discussed the natural experiments of history maori maori collision in australian region uh, south of australia then we had the collision at kahamarca where the uh, spaniards attacked the peruvian regions and how that shape up and I think that gave the base of for us to understand that why it was the Eurasian region more developed than the rest of the world? I think that gave us the examples, and then we start with the first series where we explain that how agriculture is important, how food production has led to you know human evolution at a higher grade. So we understand why farmers are necessary and why were certain areas more preferable for food farming than the other. How did crops grow? And did we domesticate crops or did cops domesticate us? And so these were the chapters, these were the things that uh, we learned. And I think the recent and the most reveling, reveling thing that I got to know was all the food that we eat grows or grew in somebody's poop. I'm going to bring this fact every in the, every episode.
1: Yes, uh, people People need to know this utmost really important fact that all your famous French gastronomy and uh, you know all this fancy food that you eat, it all traces back its ancestry to a fundamental piece of uh, shit.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I think in the last chapter we Answered the question that whose fault was it that certain areas didn't develop plants? Was it the humans themselves? Were they stupid enough to not understand or was it the plants or was it the environment? And we learned that it's a mix of both. There is nuances there more tending towards how the environment and how the geographic conditions were there. I think it ties into this chapter as well because in this chapter, we try to understand the importance of domestication of animals. So Pushkar, right on to you. So this chapter has a weird name. Tell us why is that?
1: Let's start with the Anna Karenina Principle. So Anna Karenina is a book written by um, Leo Tolstoy. And uh, in that book, I haven't read the book, so I can't say anything about it. But the idea behind the Anna Karenina Principle is that for something to happen the right way, a lot of different things have to come together perfectly. And for something to go wrong, only one thing has to go wrong. I think while reading it, the biggest example that came to my mind was... um, Weirdly enough, I was watching an interview with... uh... Have you Do you know of this actor called uh, Kumail Nanjiani? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I was watching an interview of him and he was talking about a movie he had produced called The Big Sick. It's very good, go watch it. Uh, but what he basically said of, of the movie making experience because he was writing and producing it um, instead of just acting in it. He said that to make a movie, like so many things have to go right. And if only one thing goes wrong, that movie fails completely. So, the ana-karanana principle is pretty much the same and uh, here it is applied to answer the question of why only certain very few species of animals were domesticated over thousands and thousands of years instead of like the, you know, bharkam amount of um, wild mammals that we have. So, what Jared Diamond argues is that there was only a select few species where things came together in such a way that all the factors were in place for uh, domestication of animals to happen if only one thing was different if only one thing failed then you couldn't uh, domesticate them anymore
0: you know as you correctly mentioned you use this word domestication a lot and it's important for us to understand what domestication really is because i think i thought that anyone who is near our vicinity was domesticated for some reason and this weird logic that so you know dogs cats sheep, cow, everyone is domesticated, but that is not exactly the case. I mean, those specific examples are domesticated. In this book specifically, when we talk about domestication, it is defined something like this. It is defined as an animal selectively bred in captivity and thereby modified from its wild ancestors, for use by humans who control the animals breeding and food supply.
1: So, for example, uh, if you take an elephant, like elephants, especially in India, are still used by people to... uh, You know, transport uh, or cargo, yeah. uh, Transport or cargo or tourism and whatever. They're basically used by humans in their daily lives as even pets, uh, you could say, uh, in a way but they're not necessarily domesticated animals because uh, those elephants are not bred in captivity. Those elephants are usually caught in the wild and then tamed. So that is a very different process from domestication in itself.
0: And then even like I would say, you know, we'll get to know more about the dogs and cats aspect as well because there's a weird, weird history behind that. So mm-hmm. even they are not exactly cap- like domesticated, they're tamed initially and then we started, you know, bringing them in captivity and we have these houses where we breed them and then we, adopt, we buy them because people have forgot the word adoption. But okay, my separate antics aside, but here we basically talk about domestication of animals such as cow, sheep, goat, pig and horse. Now, one small distinction here as well that there is an important thing to understand the difference between small animals and big animals because, you know, small animals provided us food, clothing, warmth and all of that. But these big animals became the reason why humans grew or evolved. I would say that, you know, once big animals came in, it was easier for them to transport materials from one place to the other. It was easier to farm because you know, putting the slides and all of that. They became war machines, horses being one of the greatest examples. So I think the domestication of big animals was the key in human evolution, I think. And that is what the author focuses on majorly in this chapter. These big animals, weighing over 14 pounds, there were only 14 subspecies that were domesticated before 20th century.
1: They were called the ancient 14.
0: I like the names. And of those 14, there was the major nine, which became the important livestock for people in limited areas. So you had the different types of camels, alpacas, um, donkeys and all of them. And then came only five species, which became the major five, uh, which are cow, sheep, goat, pig, and horse, which was widespread and across the world. Now, obviously, you have yaks, but they are in you know some areas of the world. Lamas, in again, in uh, North America, mainly in the Rocky, in, in the Andes, if I'm not wrong. So, in those areas, but they're not wi- world, worldwide, right? But obviously cow, sheep, sheep, goat, pig, and horses are available everywhere.
1: Yeah. So, what Jared Diamond seeks out to seeks to find out is that um, what were the factors that led to the domestication of these animals so early and why these animals were domesticated in the places that they were by the people that they were uh, the biggest thing he uh, keeps on repeating in this chapter is that if you think that it was something to do with the people that led to the domestication of these animals then <laughs> it's wrong because um, most of these like uh, most of these uh, animals that were domesticated belong to Eurasia and uh, Australians and North Americans and all these people had never seen like uh, animals like a horse or like a, a pig for example and what history can history tells us is that as soon as uh, these animals were introduced to these people it did not take them very long to domesticate them. Or to get used to them or to use them to their advantage for example like native americans uh, when horses were introduced to them it took them like very little time to uh, start using them for their uh, for you know uh, basically raiding and uh, uh, whatever like for uh, traveling and uh, transporting goods and they also started using sheep as livestock and all that he says that you you have to look at the animals themselves uh, to see that why the ones that were domesticated were domesticated
0: you know again the entire theme of every chapter, he starts with a question, I think the major question which he comes to is that why was it Eurasia and when we talk about Eurasia it's important to understand that we are not talking only about Europe for people who are not aware, covers most of Europe, I think all of Europe, then there is all of Asia and shockingly some part of North America as well. That whole area is the Eurasian region and he mentions that how this area had majority I think most of the animals were found here and domesticated here. And okay, let me paint this picture for you. Because I, I think this concept has been discussed in all the chapters and it would be nice for us to recap that and understand this. So, humans 7 million years ago in Africa, right? You could barely call them humans. They were very, very different from modern humans. And they soon migrated upwards and they went into the Mediterranean region, the Europe region. And the humans that were there, they were called the cro and you could say that they were the first modern human beings and that is where we see that Eurasia and obviously that area had the most amount of domestication of animals because, you know, first of all, they had a huge, 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 or it was a million, a million years of head start from all the other areas because the first modern humans developed there. So they could easily domesticate animals. They, they were living, and as Pushkar, I remember he mentioned, I think in the second uh, episode that these people were living alongside animals. So animals were also in tune with this new creature and humans were also in, in tune with them. So there was this amicable relationship like the animals did not go extinct because they knew that humans
1: were hunting them. Yeah. So the animals were more used to them.
0: So at least the animals knew what the intentions of humans are and that is why you know there is there was a good balance of domestication of animals and wild animals being there. But as humans and here I mentioned modern humans and by modern I don't mean 21st century but a many years ago they start moving into the Indonesian areas and then uh, traveling south to Australia then around 11000 or 12000 years ago moving from the Siberian region to the North America South America and wherever they came to this new place. They had developed enough tools to hunt animals and make them extinct. So, shockingly, there are no animals except the red kangaroo, which which is present in Australia. And the red kangaroo, for reasons, could not be domesticated, only tamed. And, you know, there are reasons which will come to later that what are the factors which led to the domestication? But yeah, this is important to understand. Again, that in Australia, in most of the small islands around Australia, and then you have North America, South America, the domestication of animals were almost non-existent and as Pushkar really mentioned, that it was not the humans, it was just that the, ex- the early modern humans made them extinct and once the these Europeans brought in these domesticated animals to these areas, they quickly adopted them.
1: He also gives the example that it's not like um, the people who lived in North America and uh, Australia and Papua New Guinea did not try to domesticate the animals that they had. He gives the example of the, these birds called cassowaries, who are like big chickens that, um, that uh, New Guineans used to keep uh, with them as pets more or less or like to, to basically eat them but these animals were so dangerous that on occasion these animals would um, end up disemboweling villagers it's not like they didn't try to do it it's just that with because of certain facts, factors it just did not happen and um, yeah it gives another example of uh, in North America people were uh, trying to tame the grizzly bear but even they knew that um, they had to eat the grizzly bear by the time it was a year old because if it gets bigger that's just suicide
0: and wow I, I can just only imagine right taming grizzly bears How? what would that yeah. be again answering the question that why it was Euro, uh, Europe and we answered one of them that obviously they had a huge head start and when you talk about Eurasia it's so huge it's the biggest landmass. so you have all kinds of climates there and with that you have numerous kinds of animals and apparently there is some figure going around so out of the 72 candidates that Eurasia had the domesticated 18% of them and this number falls down to zero percent in Africa or Australia and only four percent in America. So which is shocking because and for these very regions that because they're the head start and because of the climatic condition. But one question that as soon as I read this figure, right, it even came to my mind that come on, humans started developing from Africa and everyone goes to Africa for, you know, wildlife. Why were they lagging behind? Apparently they had zero percent of domesticated animals, which is shocking. Like how is it even possible? I think one of the reasons which I suspect, and it's written here as well, as, is that the first modern humans really started developing from the Mediterranean region and not the African region, to reiterate that point. And then...
1: No, and also another point, if you remember last chapter, it's like food production started in the fertile crystal, right? Correct. And there were yes. un- uh, other other hotspots too, but it was never really Africa where food production uh, took a hold. So unless you had a stable uh, idea of food production, I don't think you really went out of your way to domesticate an animal. Because uh, if you're not really farming, you don't really need an animal as such, and, uh, like, other than for the fact that or like uh, for a dog to use in hunting and stuff.
0: Yeah, I get your point. There are also additional reasons which he mentions that the Eurasia, the domestication in Europe spread quickly amongst the non-Eurasian uh, people. And obviously, he mentions a very nice point that even today, we have failed to domesticate animals that was majorly domesticated thousands of years ago, and it is similar to plants, which is shocking that we have this amazing technology, but we failed to even domesticate the simplest of ones. I think he gave one example, right? Do we remember that one? where we there were researchers going to domesticate this particular kind of animal like people tried to tame and domesticate the cheetahs so
1: um, back in like uh, mughal india kings and you know emperors used to keep cheetahs with them to you know tame cheetahs that they would use for hunting and stuff but they were not truly really domesticated and uh, what jared diamond mentions is that the biggest reason for this uh, domestication not happening is the fact that uh, <laughs> Cheetahs don't really like to mate when when somebody's watching them. I guess the the biggest point is uh, what he mentions is that there's a elaborate um, courtship ritual that comes with uh, cheetahs when they you know, you know want to mate. And so uh, what ends up happening is when you keep a cheetah in captivity, uh, they are reluctant to um, reproduce because there's they don't get to do their mating ritual. Um, which which has kind of hampered the domestication uh, of these animals. So, that was like just one of the experiments. That was like one reason you could see that why the Anakaranana principle did not apply and then things just fell apart because of just this one thing, you know, uh, and cheetahs could not be domesticated. So, just like that, he gives us like all these reasons, different reasons uh, that were important each in its own way uh, and they had to come together with all the other reasons for an animal to be domesticated.
0: Yeah, and he also mentions that in order for an animal to be domesticated, you have to tame it first. And I think that is the first step. And if you don't tame it, then you can't domesticate. And, you know, we tried with eagles. You know, Asians did with eagles, as uh, Pushkar mentioned. Modern Indians and even Egyptians tried with cheetahs. And uh, then we had giraffes, surprisingly. And uh, elephants. Now, elephants today also are tamed, obviously. But again, we cannot domesticate them because of, of the multiple reasons that they can't fornicate in captivity. Or we can't breed them in captivity. Then he comes to the third point where he... Mentions that there was a particular time where this uh, animal domestication happened. It coincides with our timeline of 11,000 years ago, right? Around 8- 8500 BC to 2500 BC, where most of the domestication was done for most of the animals. And surprisingly, there were few which were domesticated recently, like rabbits. Are not known but domesticated in the Middle Ages. Rabbits, like intuitively, it seems that it's the easiest one to domesticate.
1: Yeah, like you have to wonder
0: what, is a, what did a wild rabbit look like? Like <laughs> You know, you actually bring a nice point that it's not that these uh, animals just fall into the lap of us and uh, we started domesticating them out the blue. We started with the wild counterparts as with plants. And then we domesticated them, we tamed them, we domesticated them and then they evolved this way. So, you know, most of the animals like cows, sheep, they became smaller. Whereas some of the animals became bigger, like the guinea pigs. And he mentions a nice way that initially these wild animals had big brains. They were big brain animals because they had to, you know, escape from captivity. <laughs> they, had, they had to hunt prey, they had to survive. But once they were lazy and they knew that humans were rearing them, they were you know feeding them, they be, their brains became smaller. Yeah, there is something to be learned from that, I guess.
1: We are humans that live in uh, tiny little uh, cages made of cement, you know, and uh, we do our little uh, mundane work and uh, we do our little mundane things. Uh, never really going out in the, in the wild, I guess.
0: Makes sense. There is no real survival instinct for most of the humans, I would not say all? I mean, I
1: definitely don't.
0: <laughs> True, like, when was the last time we really, you know, went and farmed and caught our own food, fought for our own food?
1: Exactly, like, I would die.
0: <laughs> Moving on, he also mentions that how mice and rats were domesticated in the 20th century. And only because for laboratory research. That's sickening. Experiments! a key timeline he mentioned that the big mammal domestication ended around 4500 years ago
1: but like because he says by that time all the mammals that could be domesticated were domesticated and after that i don't know of any new mammals that have appeared so you know
0: moving on to the next season that you know how this domestication spread and it's not like that eurasian eurasia was the only portion where it started there were multiple independent locations what happened and obviously you have different varieties so you can see hyenas have different variety you have different varieties of even camels camels i think with the most common ones because we see there's an indian version there is european and then i think it goes with most of these different animals which are domesticated independently. Similarly, I think the biggest example which we see in our daily lives is wolves. Wolves was domesticated in like independently in so many areas and bred in so many areas which ultimately led to so many varieties of dogs.
1: I mean, uh, thank God for that. Yeah, but also he mentioned that uh, in certain places like um, China or uh, where else, he mentioned another place um, because of scarcity of uh, big, protein Mexico, Aztec, big protein Mexico, Aztec Mexico mexico yeah because of a uh, big uh, lack of big protein food or big protein animals uh, the dogs that were uh, domesticated uh, were actually not domesticated just for hunting or like by, uh, keeping as pets but also for food so uh, yeah what we keep hearing about this whole thing of like oh no china is uh, eating dogs and this and that so that actually uh, the, the it has historical roots in like um, in scarcity i guess in a way
0: yeah, makes sense. And this point brings me to this next cha- next section of this book, where he mentions that what were the reasons, which led to the failure of animal domestication, right? And so he mentions six reasons, and all of them have to, you know, be in line for us to domesticate a certain animal. And these reasons go as this: like the first one was diet. The maths he gave behind it. Prushka, do you want to go? Because it was a really fascinating work.
1: Yeah, so it's... Um, I think we learned this in school as well. So basically, if you want to breed a carnivore, uh, what you have to do is you have to make sure... So if you want to breed, say, a 100-pound carnivore, you have to make sure that you feed it, like, uh, 10,000 pounds of food uh, over its lifetime to get it to that 1,000-pound, um, uh, you know, weight, which does not make it very feasible, you know. For example, uh, if I want to breed, say, a tiger, I have to make sure that it eats... Um, 10000 pounds of meat over its lifetime to get it to just that 1000 pound size and then like i'm left with the question why why don't i just eat the 10000 pounds of meat that i'm feeding
0: to the to the tiger yeah makes sense and i think it goes this way also you can break it down into one other level that a cow eats let's say 10000 pounds of crops and that's a 1000 pound and you need 10000 cow cows to feed a 1000 pound tiger so you have 1 lakh pounds of corn or crops required just to f- you know, grow one proper tiger, whereas it it can be done in a 100th by just domesticating a herbivore. So that is why, you know, that is I think the biggest reason why no mammalian carnivore was ever domesticated for food. And the nearest thing is again, as Pushkar mentioned, was the dog.
1: Uh, But even dogs are like omnivores, so, and uh, yeah, he makes a like, he takes a slight jab at dog owners. I don't know, did dog owners think that their dogs are carnivores? Because um, he says that if you read the label of your dog food, you'll realize that it's not actually like this and that. And I'm like, who actually thought that their dog was a carnivore? Like, I don't think a lot of people think think that. Like, I don't know who you've been hanging out with, Jared Diamond, but uh, at least people here don't.
0: Uh, moving on the second reason so the first reason we understood diet you know that was the reason why we preferred domesticating herbivores rather than carnivores and that was the reason the second one was growth rate so obviously we want to domesticate animals which you know grew a bit faster
1: it's the same reason why uh, he mentions that but trees like oaks and all that were domesticated because it takes a 100 years to grow so just like that you wouldn't really want to domesticate an elephant or like a gorilla because it takes around like 10 years for them to reach maturity and as a farmer you're not really gonna invest uh, 10 years into it especially if they don't if, they, if, they're, if they're not gonna taste like
0: wine afterwards you know <laughs> moving to the third point and I think we already discussed this, the problems of captive breeding now obviously it's easier to you know breed sheep cows and all of them and we have been doing that for hundreds and thousands of years um, but obviously there are examples like cheetahs which Pushkar so beautifully explained with such nice words that how they we are unable to, uh, you know, breed them in captivity. Like the biggest problem that we see right now is pandas. Like pandas hate exactly.
1: breeding in captivity. Yeah, that's why there are so uh, so few of them. You know. Yeah, that is that is a, a big thing. Like you can't really domesticate animals. You can't get them to breed
0: when you want them to breed. I think in this book only somewhere I don't I'm not sure whether this is linked to this point, but he mentions that how scientists in order to increase the uh, let's say population of certain extinct animals, they are genetically tagging all the existing species of a certain animal and making them selectively breed with each other so that it you know, gives them a chance of maximum offspring, so that the uh, population survives. And I think, now moving on to the fourth point, and I think this is the most fun point, which is called the Nasty disposition, where he mentions that it's naturally, you know, you cannot domesticate any mammal species, which is sufficiently large enough of, capability of killing a human being and is of and obviously cows are that huge being, but they're not that. I
1: mean, uh, yeah, cows don't really, can't really kill you, but like, see, for example, uh, the African buffalo can, which is like yes. about the size of a cow. Uh, so yeah, like because cows had such a nice disposition and they were, um, uh, as we scientifically know, the incarnation of God, uh, they were benevolent enough for uh, to let us domesticate
0: them. Yeah, this also uh, came to for some zebras because I think uh, he made a point earlier in the chapter where he mentioned that, you know, we domesticated horses so quickly and zebras are not just colourful or black and white horses, right? Yeah. So why was it not possible for us to domesticate zebras? And he mentioned that zebras become absolutely dangerous when they grow older. I think similar case with grizzly bears and uh, there were, I like this, you know, zebras have the unpleasant habit of biting a person and not letting go. (laughs) They thereby injure more, injure have i forgotten how to speak they thereby injure even more american zookeepers each year than do tigers which is like yeah. really shocking this is like new level shit for me
1: that and also he mentions hippos uh who are like they look cute but they kill more people uh than say sharks in a year
0: Hippos look cute they were very nice different variety of defining what cute is But hippos are cute come on like uh, i think our audience would agree with me on this fine fine and you know when we talk about nasty disposition there is the other end of the spectrum which is the tendency to panic you know there are animals that is definitely one of the reasons I haven't been domesticated <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I want somebody to try who knows uh, all they need is of, offer you enough Wi-Fi, enough board games enough books and enough money to publish your own books I think you'll be happy okay so like Jeff Bezos basically <laughs> yeah Jeff Bezos will sponsor it. shut up <laughs> okay so yeah he gave examples of you know gazelles and reindeers they are so dump dump is a wrong word you should not use dump like this guys they have a tendency yeah. to panic where if you cap you know lock them in a cage they'll bang their heads and die because they can't just stay there because they want to get out same as me
1: more or less like after this pandemic i have realized that uh you know cabin fever is a real thing uh but anyway enough about me uh so yeah then the certain animals have a tendency to panic that you just cannot uh, keep them in a cage you know uh, they will try to rebel because uh, that's just how life works i guess um, <laughs> and maybe who knows these animals are um, i guess anarchists um, by their philosophy maybe i don't know they have a group or something um, speaking of groups the last reason that he comes to is uh, social structure so certain animals that could that were domesticated so easily was because those animals already lived in a social structure where you had an alpha a dominant uh, uh, character and everybody else kind of followed uh, him and they were used to living in herds which made it easier to domesticate them and keep them in captivity and breed them accordingly but some animals because they have such a haphazard social structure or no social structure at all it becomes harder to domesticate them because they have um they don't really like to follow anybody's orders they don't like to uh, live with more of their kind and uh, you know they're just a little bit smarter than uh, sheep i guess
0: thank you for calling me smarter than sheep sure but yeah as pushkar mentioned that most of these animals had a hierarchical structure and humans just you know you I think one stepped them so they became the leaders and everybody just followed them so it was easier to domesticate them and he gives one nice example that one solitary territorial animal species which cannot be herded was the benevolent cats so every cat lover basically
1: yeah I don't think we've still like entirely domesticated cats I think it's just that cats are playing the long game where they're uh, where they've basically, basically made us their slaves and uh, when uh, you know when they have had enough of us or when they uh, you know, find us useless. They'll just get rid of us and uh, rule the world by themselves.
0: <laughs> so it'll be a whole Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy scene.
1: Pretty much, pretty much, exactly. Yeah. But anyway, the point is, Jared Diamond has scientifically established that um, the whole of human evolution is just a social experiment done by cats
0: to <laughs> see how much, uh, how how clueless we can be. You know, there is some truth. I know you're choking, but there is some truth of it truth to it because if you see plants, right, they adapted themselves so that you know they could procreate. And the good but was that, you know, we were just another animals for them and we helped them do that. And so they made, they made their seeds, you know, better, they made their fruits brighter and tastier to eat so we could help them. And similarly with animals also, I think there are reasons why these animals did some, most of the animals didn't get domesticated, but the ones that they did, they had their own reasons, uh, own reasons to do so. And it's not the humans, as again mentioned, and we want to say that, that humans were smart enough, be it any time in their whole seven billion career. But uh, whenever a new animal came by and they knew they could domesticate it, they did. But apparently due to you know geographical reasons, due to historical, biological reasons, they could not do so. And we now know the reasons why this did not happen. And yeah, I think that brings us to the end of this chapter. I think now we are entering, we'll get to know how germs played a role, how writing or language played a role, how tech played a role, and then religion. So there are lots of amazing episodes in store for, in store for you guys. All of the
1: things that are relevant.
0: <laughs> Bro, food is highly relevant, so please don't, guys, don't underestimate, though we joke, it's all, please take it as a joke, right?
1: Actually, uh, a lot of the things that um, I learned over these last uh, few chapters have um, really opened my eyes to certain things and, you know, made me look at history in a different way. Uh,
0: personally, for me, this has happened that whenever I'm reading some other book, right, which deals with human, or just political climate or history or of that matter, you relate, I don't know, I tend to relate it with this book, how humans evolved and how it propagated into different areas and how I understand this area might be superior to the other in this way or the other. Maybe I'll get more context when I go through the other chapters. So it gives you a nice perspective. So guys, stay tuned, listen to the new chapters and uh, if you want to directly support us, go on buymeacoffee.com slash talk and keep on listening to these episodes. And yeah, I think thank you and we'll meet you in the next episode. Bye. Okay, bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode. Follow us on social media and do let us know if you want to be part of the next episode. Till then,